my experience of ADHD is that if I like something, then I'm usually really good at it. If I don't like it, or I don't think I'm good at it, I can read one paragraph 12 times and then I'll probably start crying. And then you just go, I, don't, I, can't, I, can't, I can't do it, I don't want to do it, I don't want to do it. And you could flip a table and you're a nine-year-old who's crying in class at a math test and they're like, oh, what's her problem, <laughs> you know? Welcome to Are You Mental, a podcast about mental health. My name is Mick Andrews, and this week we're talking all about ADHD. Now, there seems to be a lot more people these days identifying as having ADHD. Is this because there's less stigma about it now, and so people are more happy to own it? Or is ADHD actually on the rise? And what exactly does it mean when someone has ADHD as far as what they're experiencing and how they behave? Is it just the classic they can't sit still or they find it hard to focus on tasks? Or is it more than that? Well, not only do I dive into these questions with your favourite psychologist, Nettie Cullen, but I also sit down with two friends of mine, Izzy and Bree, both of whom have ADHD, and talk about what it's been like for them and the very real challenges it's brought to their lives. Now, I've had some great feedback about the three-part series on the path through depression. If you want to drop us some feedback or have any other questions, you can email me, that's mick, M-I-C-K, at areumental.com. We're also on Instagram at Podcast. Now, one really important thing is that this podcast isn't actually funded by ads or sponsors at this stage. So we really do need people like you in order to keep it going. So if you like the podcast or if it's helped you in some way, then please consider donating to help us make the next episode. To do that, you can go to our website, areumental.com, and click on the donate button. So let's dive into ADHD. And the first person I'd like you to meet is Israel, although everyone just calls him Izzy. Do we need a safe word? (laughs) What do you want it to be? I'll forget it anyway. (laughs) So I knew Izzy many moons ago when I was about 15, 16 years old. Back then, I used to go to a local youth group, basically a bunch of teenagers having a lot of good, clean fun. And at the time, there were these two guys, Eddie and Izzy, who were older than us in their early 20s. They had cars and a mad hunger for doing a lot of crazy things, often late at night. So as you can imagine, me and my friends thought they were the bee's knees. Izzy drove us around at a breakneck pace in his little red Renault sports car to places that invariably involved climbing things or jumping off things, or usually both actually. And as far as I was concerned, we were having the time of our lives. But as I sat down with Izzy the other day, I realised that his experience of that season of life was in fact very different. At the time, internally, emotionally and mentally, it was so noisy all the time. Hmm. Externally, I looked like I had all under control, it was amazing, but internally it was quite tumultuous. Hmm. You know, a lot of people see that external as the hyperactivity but the hyperactivity was mental like it was just mental gymnastics the whole time and a lot of it was the way I talked to myself about myself was really bad Mm. and I wasn't really enjoying a lot of it yeah it's funny there's two camps from that time back then was the people that thought it was great and then there's the people who never want to talk to me again there's only two and it's funny I'm in the first camp yeah (laughs) just so you know (laughs) obviously because here we are talking It's actually a little bit sad in a way for me to hear that from my point of view as a 15-year-old, here were these two guys that were having the time of their life and sharing some of that joy with us Mm. so that we can have a good time as well and that actually you were going through some very real stuff. Yeah. 
At that time, Izzy didn't know he had ADHD, although he did know his experience of life was a bit different to most. And I wanted to know when all that started, so I got him to wind the clock back and tell me what he was like as a kid. I was always very curious and interested, and I needed to know how stuff worked. Mm. When I was about three years old, I asked my dad to explain what the future meant, (laughs) stuff like that. But I preferred talking to adults than my you know own age group most of my memories as a child I was just doing my own thing on my own you know like most of my friends just wanted to kick a ball around and I was never interested in any of that I, I was more interested in as I say how stuff works or I probably watched more documentaries than I did cartoons as a kid wow so that seems kind of odd to me in that ADHD you get told is to do with a deficit in attention mm-hmm. and yet you were really curious about how things worked and you wanted to focus on and work out how things worked. Don't you need a lot of attention to be able to do that? The fallacy is that people with ADHD have a deficit of attention because that's what it's called. The problem is that a lot of times I don't have a choice where it goes. You know, if you were to say, oh, you need to concentrate on this thing, if I'm not interested in what that is, my brain's just not going to do it. Well, I actually, like, the sum total of my research at this point is the Wikipedia page on ADHD, <laughs> yeah, yeah. if I'm honest. But it did say that people in ADH, with ADHD find it really hard to focus on stuff they're not interested yeah. in. But if they are interested in something, or if it's rewarding in some way, there's yeah. something that they call hyperfocus. Hyperfocus, yeah. Tell me about that. So hyperfocus is when, yeah, when you're totally intrigued by something. So ADHD... The T-shirts are like, oh, a squirrel. But ADHD is like, oh, a squirrel. What type of squirrel is it? You know, what's the lifespan of that squirrel? Where does that squirrel live? So you can you can go down that rabbit hole one day when you see something. You're like, what? The, I need to learn absolutely everything about that right, right now. And hyperfocus is good for some things, but there are times where, like I should be doing the dishes, and my brain's totally fixated on some thought I had at 2 in the morning. Right. And as you say, when it's rewarding, so when that hyperfocus is dumping dopamine into your brain, it's like, oh, this is the best thing ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm guessing the hyperfocus has helped you in your job as a car technician. Yeah. So a little bit of background here. Izzy has spent most of his working life as a top-level car technician for big European brands and now plays around with the latest technology at his job with Tesla. Because I'm interested in it. I love it. I'll just eat it all up. And then when a problem comes in, my brain is, I have to figure out what's wrong with this vehicle. Mm. And that's worked really well. But the flip side is, if I end up heading off down the wrong diagnostic track, I could be there for days. And, you know, I've had some managers who've torn their hair out with that. So Um, you're susceptible to a rabbit hole or two? Can be, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, occasionally I've got the wrong end of the stick or, you know, the wrong bull by the wrong horns. (laughs) Wrong, stick up the wrong ball. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah. They hate that, those balls. Yeah, yeah, it's not a fan of it. But yeah, that's where hyperfocus will come in. There was a job I did a few years ago. It was a gearbox that wasn't supposed to be rebuilt. Anyway, I start tearing this gearbox down. I make a little mistake, and I hyperfocused on fixing that thing for 10 days straight. Wow. You know, I was there 10, 12 hours a day, and I, would, I wouldn't eat. Couldn't let it go. Couldn't let it go. Mm. So you may have noticed we've inadvertently jumped forward here out of Izzy's childhood and into the present day again, but I pulled him back into the past because I really wanted to know how what he now recognises as ADHD affected his childhood. 
school was not a good scene. When I was a kid in primary school, I had a teacher put my desk in the corridor for a year. Uh, school that I won't name, but a little school in the South Island. Yeah. Sitting in the corridor. For a year. For a year. Yeah, the whole year. Everyone's doing your stuff inside mm. and you're out in the corridor for an entire year. Yep. That's kind of traumatic. Yeah, it was pretty bad. We unpacked that one with about three counselling sessions, so. Yeah, bad. You should probably send them the bill. You know, I think it was. I was going to put you outside <clears throat> the studio for the interview. I'm glad I didn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I just, I just stood, literally stared at the wall. Oh my goodness! Um, oh, and the, she wasn't even giving you the same. No, nah, I just lesson. sat there. Yeah, there was no, there what? was no. Lesson, just, just sitting at the desk. Wow. What, do you, what were you doing that made her think you deserved it? I honestly couldn't tell you. I think I kind of always remember like getting in trouble, but not knowing why I got in trouble. Hmm. I was never that outbursty, violent kid. I never, I didn't hit people. I didn't throw stuff. And I think it was because I was just asking too many questions, or maybe I wouldn't shut up, or maybe I was just fidgeting. I don't, I don't honestly don't know. So the transition into teenage years, that was pretty bad. Like if I was interested in something, I'd smash it. If I wasn't interested, it was just like, I'm just not even going to do any work. Hmm. So if I was to get in my time machine and, <clears throat> and become a fly and, and and sit on that wall in a classroom with you in it, yeah, what do you think I'd witness as far as how you behaved in comparison to the other You would students? either, my desk was either right next to the teachers hmm. or it was down the back. There were some teachers who had a crack. As in engaged with you and... Trying to. Right. I think I became a bit of the class clown. Hmm. Loud? Just sake, hmm. you know, being the jokester. And then you'd probably just see me staring out the window a lot of the time. So not knowing much about ADHD, I always think it's like behaviour, like you'll see it, it's big, it's hyper, it's this. Yeah. But... What I'm hearing is that it actually was more about your internal experience yeah. of the reality yeah. around you. You're right. A lot of it was internalised. And then even with my desk out in the corridor, I never felt like I could tell anyone about it because I thought I'd just get in more trouble. Hmm. So it's better to suck it up rather than go, hey, you know, this is going on. Yeah, so you probably wouldn't have noticed the classic stereotypes of ADHD. Hmm. And that's why I say for me personally, a lot of the hyperactivity has been uh, internal. Mm. And when did the word ADHD, or possibly ADD back then maybe, yeah. when did it get put on the table as something you might have or be experiencing? Late teens, early 20s, mm. when someone was like, oh, you've got ADD, and I was like, what even is that? Mm. They, you know, Then obviously they say all the generic stuff, and I'm like, well, most of that fits, but a lot of it doesn't. But then it was later on as you learning a bit more about it. And the funny thing is, as they say, birds of a feather, find out most of the people, if not all of the people that I gel with, all of them either had a formal diagnosis or kind of knew they had it. Mm. So pretty much the people I spend most of my time now with, um, amusingly, all have ADHD. Even now? Even now. Oh, wow. Like my closest friends have ADHD. Because you think similarly? Yeah. Huh. Not really interested in how was your day. Like we always talk really deeply about mm. all sorts of things mm. and that can go on for hours and it's very stimulating. You know, like I couldn't care less about how was the weather or what the All Blacks are doing. Whereas I'm like, you know, like how was your day? And I'm like, no, how was it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, like what were you thinking or, and how did you feel? Yeah. I can't deal with small talk. Like I just want to be like, can you take me home now? Yeah. You know? <laughs> maybe, maybe I've got it then. Possibly. <laughs> We'll come back to Izzy soon, 
But let's hear from our psychologist, Nettie, starting with her talking about what ADHD is. From my understanding, essentially, ADHD is a neurodevelopmental condition. Some people think of it as a disorder or an illness. Other people say it's not a disorder or an illness at all. It's just a difference where crucial parts of the brain have not developed in the same kind of way as, say, a more typical brain. So the parts of the brain, particularly that are involved in planning and organisation, filtering attention, controlling attention, impulse control, emotion regulation, judgment, including time management and prioritising. So there's a number of different parts of the brain that are involved, but the, the most central part is our prefrontal cortex. Essentially, the control center of the brain, you know, our brain's self-management system. Mm. So when there's a developmental delay or when the development of that part of our, our neural pathways has been affected, the result is that you've got a nervous system that is wired differently. You've mm. got a completely different kind of regulation and attention regulating system that operates in different ways to a more typical nervous system. So it happens in the development of the brain? It's a delay in the development of, in particular, the prefrontal cortex. So what we'll see is prefrontal activity that is maybe three or four years behind in a child, Mm. for instance. The activities of the prefrontal cortex that we might normally take for granted are a lot harder work, Hmm. take a lot more effort, take a lot more energy to execute. So what you've described so far is that it's a delay in the development of a certain area of the brain, uh, which is kind of, I guess, a physiological explanation of what is ADHD. But what is ADHD as far as how it's experienced and how it presents? Okay. What's often observed is a difficulty paying attention a lack of focus, poor time management, weak impulse control, so that really impulsive behaviour, intense and perhaps exaggerated emotions, maybe dysregulated emotional experience and expression. There's the hyper-focus when a person can be extremely focused on a task or an activity far longer than somebody else might typically be. The crucial element being that it's it's a topic that's particularly interesting. Mm. And so a person with ADHD might talk about when they're in the zone, when they're in the zone they can go forever focusing on a topic that is motivating for them. Mm. And it'll be motivating because it's intensely interesting or it's there's a lot of time pressure. The crisis can be quite motivating. Mm. And also competition can be quite motivating. So someone with ADHD might be quite good under pressure? Yes, absolutely. Mm. In fact, might need to be under pressure. I've read that the opposite is true as far as hyperfocus goes in that that if someone with ADHD is not interested in the task at hand, it's It's like... It's extraordinarily difficult to find any motivation whatsoever to give it any attention at all. Mm. Painfully difficult. Painfully difficult almost like a barrier to doing something because it's important to do. Choosing to give your attention to something that's not interesting. Like an inability to do that. Yeah. Mm. The importance is irrelevant. It needs to be stimulating. It needs to be stimulating. I read somewhere that the mechanism 
for someone that ADHD contemplating doing something they don't want to do is the same mechanism as don't put your hand in the fire. Like it's not, I just don't want to do it. Your nervous system is going danger, danger. Right. This is don't do it. Right. So, so much of life has been angled to not just not feeling bored, but Avoid not it. even getting in the situation where you could possibly feel bored. What does that look like? Inventing projects. And... Just all avoiding stuff. Right. So the superpower is sometimes the worst thing ever. You know, like when it's, I could go to work on Monday and there could be a car that needs, no one knows why it's there. It's mm. not running. Mm. And that's your happy place. My happy place. I could also go in and there could be 27 tyres that need changing. And yeah. it's just like, this is just monotonous and it's like so then you go all right how fast can i do it and so you get to a point where i can't actually do this any faster so it's just monotonous Mm. and that's where a lot of the superpower becomes um the worst thing ever because people are like man give it to izzy he can do it so quick so you end up doing all of them and it's just like so you're kind of you feel the extremes of everything when you feel engaged you feel really intensely engaged but when you feel bored you feel so kind of horribly bored it's the worst (laughs) it's honestly it's an unbearable feeling boredom hi it's mick here i hope you're enjoying are you mental as you can imagine making this podcast is a pretty time-consuming pursuit and i often get asked how people can support the podcast So what you can do is go to GoFundMe.com and search the words, Are You Mental? That's GoFundMe.com and search, Are You Mental? Okay, on with the episode. You can kind of see how someone with ADHD might just get accused of being lazy. Absolutely. Lazy, selfish, self-absorbed. We all have to do things we don't like. Come on, get on with it. Yeah, absolutely. That's not me actually saying that, by the way. <laughs> I don't want to get cancelled. Yeah. And then you can imagine if that's the messaging that you're getting from mm. people around you, that sinks in mm. and affects the way that that person then feels about themselves. Mm. Anything else you want to say as far as how it presents? Well, the other thing is the hyperactivity which is perhaps one of the, the characteristics that we most readily identify with ADHD. And when we talk about an ADHD kid who's climbing the walls yeah. and can't sit still and all yeah. those kinds of things. Classic. It's the most observable, mm. if you like, behaviour associated with the diagnosis. Mm. And how does that look? How does hyperactivity look? And how does it differ in how it presents to how it's experienced? Right. So hyperactivity... It looks like a lot of physical energy. It looks like a lot of, like, you can't sit still, there's a lot of fidgeting, there's a lot of restlessness. You know, a child, for instance, might simply not be able to sit in their seat in the classroom mm. and they get up and walk around. But you'll see that in an adult too, perhaps in a board meeting or whatever, the, the inability just to sit still and be still. It'll be fidgeting, it'll be fiddling, it'll be doodling, it'll be... All the things. All of those, yeah, all the things. But that, that sense of being wired, a lot of nervous energy, say. Mm. That's the kind of outward expression, I suppose, of hyperactivity. But there's also an inward experience of hyperactivity where the mind is never still. And there's like a million thoughts going through a person's mind. Sometimes in a, in a therapeutic setting, I might say to somebody, what are you thinking just now? And a person who's got... Where do I start? <laughs> well, the person with ADHD will go, 
how many things am I thinking? Yeah. What, right now or just in the last five minutes? What do you mean, right? And it'll be common for a person with that sort of level of hyperactivity to have 10 things whirling around in their brain at that moment. And so that then means that the mind is really busy, then the nervous system is really wired. It's difficult for that person to wind down and relax. You see sleep difficulties, you see it being challenging just to stop and take a breath. Mm. I guess one thing we haven't talked about is the fact that there's different types of ADHD. There's inattentive, I believe. Mm -hmm. There's hyperactive. Which is the hyperactivity, impulsivity. Mm. And I'm told there's combined. Absolutely, yeah. As three different types. Yep. So the idea is that there is an underlying condition mm. called ADHD, but it presents predominantly in three different general ways. And the interesting thing is that a person can move between different presentations. So at one point in their life, they may present with more hyperactivity and at another point in their life, they may present with more inattention. So the, the hyperactive impulsive presentation is what we most commonly think of as ADHD and it's the bit that's most commonly recognized and causes the most disruption. But then we miss the inattentive presentation. What would be your kind of, if you had to boil the inattentive type of ADHD down to one or two sentences, is it the difficulty to be focused and present? It's a difficulty maintaining attention, sustaining mm. attention, following instructions, organising activities and completing tasks. It's that kind of holding attention. Yep. Um, they're often thought of as the daydreamers and the a bit off with the fairies, but they're not managing to achieve their tasks and their mm. goals. And I, I'm assuming that combined is someone who has difficulties with both. That's right, yes. When I got diagnosed, we didn't go into types, but I would be combined. Right. So I'm... Um, Does that make it like, quote unquote, worse because you've got both? Probably. I always joke that I'm hyperactively inattentive <laughs> right. or inattentively hyperactive. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's probably... I, and I think, like anything, it's a spectrum, right? Hmm. And I And I know people who are both types. I know people who are really good friends of mine and they're just right up at... 92% hyperactive hmm. or whatever. Hmm. Was without the inattentive. Yeah. Right. Like totally legit at being able to get stuff done and focus and stuff yeah. like that. But hyperactive to a point that sometimes you just like, could you just stop? And then there's other people I know that are totally inattentive. That's probably the worst of it from what I've seen with they just forget stuff. Like I've had friends forget their kids at daycare. Yeah. And that's awful. You know, there's so much social stigma with that. And shame, I'm and sure. shame, yeah. And the worst is, I think one of the worst side of it is girls with ADHD who uh, tend towards the hyperactive side. Mm. You know, like boys will be boys, right? That's a that's the saying. It's a pretty dumb saying, in my opinion, because mm. they're allowed to be mm. loud and noisy. But yeah, yeah. even in this modern society, like girls can't. So and they get labelled as being too full on. Or yeah. Oh, you're too much. You're too yeah. much. Yeah. Yeah. That's really sad. Mm. You know, like she's just too much. It's just like... A handful. A handful, yeah. If you were to have a go at describing in one sentence each hyperactivity and inattentiveness, well, how would you describe, first of all, hyperactivity? The total inability to be still, hmm. physically or mentally. And inattentiveness? The total inability to attend, to be present. Hmm. 
To focus? Yeah. It's not just the focus. Like when you're inattentive, it's inattentive ADHD burns the house down. The mm. worst case scenario. You know, like I've had some pretty serious injuries as a mechanic because I've just forgotten that there's a moving part right there. Mm-hmm. That's and that's total that's just being inattentive. Mm. You're just you're just not present. You're not mm. there. So yesterday I looked up in the official diagnostic manual the criteria for ADHD and it's split up into inattention yep. symptoms and hyperactivity symptoms. Mm-hmm. And I haven't done this before, but I was considering just firing them at you sure. and just yep. seeing if you relate. So here we have the quote-unquote symptoms, don't you love that word, for (laughs) inattention. The first one is frequently overlooks details or makes careless mistakes. 100%. (laughs) Often has difficulty maintaining focus on one task or play activity. 50-50 on that one. Okay. Yeah. Often appears not to be listening when spoken to, including when there is no obvious distraction. That's about 80% of the time. Okay. Frequently does not finish following instructions, failing to complete tasks. All the time. (laughs) I feel like this is some weird test. Often struggles to organise tasks and activities to meet deadlines and to keep belongings in order. All the time. (laughs) Is frequently reluctant to engage in tasks which require sustained attention. I'll engage in them and then I'll regret it. Does that, from what we've talked about, depend on how engaging Engaging, you find the task? Frequently loses items required for tasks and activities. He's nodding. Yeah, all the time, but that's much better on the meds. Mm, Okay. Yeah. Is frequently easily distracted by extraneous stimuli, including thoughts, in adults and older teenagers. Yeah, that's that's a constant, but definitely better on the meds. Okay. Often forgets daily activities or is forgetful while completing them. Yeah, I can forget to eat for days. Wow. Literally forget. Yeah. And here are the same, quote-unquote, symptoms for hyperactivity. Is often fidgeting or squirming in seat. (laughs) You're literally turning your seat right now. (laughs) Um, Frequently has trouble sitting still during dinner, class, meetings, etc. Yep. So I don't. Oh, you just get up? I just don't, yeah. I just have a stand-up desk. So, yeah, I just won't do it. I've said that to people I work with. I'm not going to sit still on this meeting. I'm going to stand up, and if I get... If it's too much, I'll just leave. And we're actually totally allowed to do that in my job, so it's fine. So I'm really lucky. So, hey. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I've got to laugh at this one because this just reminds me of the Izzy I met. <laughs> Frequently runs around or climbs in inappropriate situations. Yeah, handy pee. <laughs> <laughs> Often cannot quietly engage in leisure activities or play? Uh, not so much for me, mm. yeah. Frequently seems to be on the go or appears uncomfortable when not in motion. Yeah. Yeah. Often talks excessively. All the time. (laughs) Often answers a question before it is finished. Yeah. That's the worst. (laughs) That's the... I hadn't finished, actually. Because you know. So, yep. (sighs) Stop talking next. (laughs) (laughs) Often struggles to wait their turn, including waiting in lines. I can't do it. To my detriment. Like I've missed, we've been on this on a big trip. I've missed out on some things that would be pretty cool because I refuse to line up. Right? How long's the queue for the Eiffel Tower? Forty minutes? No, <laughs> it's I'm not going to happen. I've come halfway across I'm halfway the planet. The world. I'm I am not, not lining up forty minutes. minutes. <laughs> and that's actually in respect for other people. 
Because the people around me would be like, could you go away? I'd be like... Ah, right. You'd be making their life. Probably. Misery, right. Frequently interrupts or intrudes, including into others' conversations or activities, or by using people's things without asking. Yeah, all the time. (laughs) Yeah. What's it like? I mean, I feel a bit like it's weird to throw all those things at you and for you to be like, yep, yep, yep. So, Do you mind that that's all true? Because I'm more accepting of it, I find it amusing. Mm. And in a lot of the spaces I'm in, now I'm quite lucky that people know Mm. and that's the thing if there's something going on and I've got a thought to contribute sometimes I need to contribute it there and then or it'll disappear Mm. yeah and I felt I mean I was happy to kind of laugh about them because I don't see them as quote unquote bad no you know I wouldn't laugh if I did yeah and that's it like a lot of those things that you mentioned put them into a context of a small South Island school in the Mm. 70s like, it's the worst. And you end up in the corridor. You end up in the corridor. Mm. Nowadays, where I work... For a cutting-edge tech. Cutting-edge tech, totally fine. Makes you wonder how many people in Silicon Valley have ADHD, right? Probably all of them. <laughs> Next up, I'd like you to meet Bree. About a decade ago, she was housemates with a friend of mine. I didn't know she had ADHD then. In fact, neither did she. But I did know that she was full to the brim with energy, loud, talkative, funny and made life exciting for everyone around her. Brie is an actress, director, and acting coach. She's got a whole lot of credits to her name, including acting in Home and Away, coaching the kids for Sweet Tooth on Netflix, and co-directing a series called Raised by Refugees. She definitely doesn't hold back from sharing her opinion, and within seconds of sitting down in the studio, she was critiquing the decor. The black backdrop on it is like, wool. Like, put more greenery behind you. (laughs) It's so intense. All oh, right. Sorry, I'm not. I'm not. You didn't ask for feedback. <laughs> I don't have to do that, though, do I? Nah, you just just be normal. Just be normal. Be natural, I should have said. Yeah. Be, be, normal. be normal, and now talk about your ADHD. <laughs> just like I did with Izzy, I got Bree to tell me what she was like as a kid. Full on. My mum would say, full on. Full on in everything, like full on energy, full on enthusiasm, full on emotion, mm. or like always into everything. Had to be kept an eye on, like even as a toddler. Mm. Like if you turn your back on me, she's gone. Oh, she's running across the road. Oh, she's gotten out of a rest stop and drinking the dregs from a beer can out of a because <laughs> just because it was like oh yeah, you know. Um, so a lot to handle for your parents. Yeah, well, parent, I think. You right. know, <laughs> dad, yes, but like I think mum was on her own with me most of the time. Mm. And for dad, it was just like, who is this thing? Like this loud thing with this loud laugh who's always getting, you know. Oh, she thought she saw a movie about a, the boy who could fly and now she thinks she can fly so she tried to jump off the roof. You know, like that kind of a thing. <laughs> that was me. So what was your experience of being that little girl like? What I know now is like, we're so sensitive. I think being ADHD, you're very sensitive to things. It's sort of like a superpower. So you'd feel everything deeply. And then also emotional regulation was like a big hard for us. So mm. I don't know that I had it worse than anybody else with things, but I was in trouble a lot and I, and I, and I never knew why I was in trouble and I never meant to be in trouble. And I was always trying to be a good girl, but I would get in trouble. And so I was always really, it would, that would hurt me a lot. And then I was, my thing then is like, you have to be the best at everything, therefore to not get in trouble. Therefore, you know, you have, to, and so I have a big thing even now about being a good, being good girl or being good or being nice or having people needing to like you and all that. So 
on the one side like I had big feelings and lots of fun and all the and then on the you'd never know you'd never know when you were going to get in trouble mm, for just mm. sort of being you. So there was kind of like these two opposing forces. Like there was the you that you naturally were that was big energy, full on, inquisitive, yeah. jumping into stuff. Love, 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 like hugging and I love my loyal, hugging and love you, whatever. Yeah, and yeah. then when you got that was rejected or you were told off or you were made fun or all for those things, it was like crushing. Mm. But and then you find you learn ways to um, not upset people. What about your teenage years? How do you think having ADHD impacted those years for you? I was so sensitive. I am now, but even as a teenager, with things, with things and rejection and um, eating. Okay, if I do this and I eat this and I look this way, then I'll be okay, kind of thing. And I think perhaps having ADHD really lent into that being a thing and we get hyper focused and you get hyper focused on the eating and all in the gym and all of those things and I reckon perhaps if we had known that that was ADHD was something for me I would have been able not maybe not to have lent into that as a coping mechanism of control Mm. over the things that I couldn't control Mm. maybe you mentioned hyper focus what's that for my experience of ADHD is that if I like something then I'm usually really good at it because I put energy into it and I get hyper-focused on it and it can be like, I could go like eight hours doing a certain task that I love mm. and, I'll fe- and I'll be in, we know what we call as actors also like flow, you know, flow state, you mm-hmm. know, and you're just like, whoa, that went by and you're sort of like really jazzed, right? Mm. If I don't like it or I don't think I'm good at it, I can read one paragraph 12 times and then I'll probably start crying. Or like maths was an issue for me, and then I and it was just like I'm terrible at it. Couldn't couldn't even look at it, and then you just you know freak out. And what's going on emotionally when you're trying to do something you don't like or aren't good at? I thought everybody had voices in their head saying that they were pieces of shit. I honestly thought that people like had lots of voices going on at the same time. And when I'm in that, and it's and it's not going well, all you hear is all the other noises, and it's like. Your skin crawls, and then you just keep thinking, "Oh, you're bad, you're bad, you're shit, you're shit, you're shit." And then you just go, "I, don't, I can't, I can't, I can't do it, I don't want to do it, I don't want to do it." And you could flip a table, and then you're a nine, and you're a nine year old who's crying in class at a math test, and they're like, "Oh, what's her problem?" Mm, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and the hyper focus is usually like stuff you enjoy, and it's like you get a, I think you get a dopamine hit from it. I don't know. So mm. you can get it from food too. You can get hyper fixated on a food. Oh, you yeah. could go like months of going, I, that's what I have for lunch and I freaking love it. And it gives you that hit every day. And then all of a sudden one day you wake up and you eat it and you go, no, it's gone now. Oh, now I can never eat that food again. <laughs> Seriously, it's like, yeah. Or like gym, some certain gym like exercises I'd go and do and be like, I freaking love this. I love this. I'm going to carry on doing this. And then like a year later I'm like, oh, I'm bored of it now. <laughs> and then never do it again. <laughs> yeah. So for you, there was a link between your ADHD and kind of self-esteem stuff. Yeah. What for you is the link there? I think it's an underlying thing that can amplify it. I think ADHD amplifies those things. Mm. So I already had a thing where I wanted to be liked and wanted to be good at things, Mm. needing to be the best to be recognized. You know, like I said, with the eating thing, it's like the minute I got told that I looked good or that I'd lost weight, the minute I got told I was in, I was hooked Mm. because I was like, ah, that's it. That's Mm. what I need to do. Do more of it. And do more of it and do it and then do it to the point where, you know, if it was, say, it was like Weight Watchers, you live off 18 points a day, I'll live off 15. Mm. 
I'll live off 10. Mm. I'll skip them. Like that, you know? So ADHD heightens those worries maybe. Mm. And then also we, we find it hard to emotionally regulate. So there are big highs and big lows. We always joke how we would just love to be whelmed. Because we're only under or over. (laughs) Like, what's this whelmed that I would love to be there? By the time he got to his 30s, Izzy basically knew he had ADHD, but had never been diagnosed, which up until then had been okay. But things were getting more difficult as him and his wife had started having kids, and on top of that, he took on extra responsibility at work by becoming a foreman. Did really well at that because that's a lot of problem solving a lot of other people. But the mental acrobatics I had to do to stay on task and to juggle maybe 20 cars going out that day that I'm responsible for. Mm. I would get home and I was just exhausted, you know, on all levels, mentally, physically, emotionally. And that's when it was like, well, this isn't really fair on my family. And then I had a couple of other friends who are both ADHD went and sought a diagnosis and both of them used the term, it's life-changing. So I was like, what the heck? When I got the diagnosis, got on the meds and literally it was life-changing. Wow. Like people ask, well, what's it like? And I always say, it's like a whole of other features are unlocked. It's like when you download a free app and then you buy it mm. and there's mm. all these other features. It was, right. It's like that. In it's, your brain. In my brain, yeah. Wow. Lots of things, just little things like waking up at two in the morning and going, did I tighten up? those wheels and my brain can remember doing it right i used to say i had alien hand syndrome like i'd be holding a tool and then someone would ask me a question and without even thinking i'd just put the tool down and then 10 minutes later i'd be like where the heck is and that's everything that touches my hand you know car keys classic wallets the classic with being on meds and learning a few more i can go oh i put that over there is Um, it the medication that made the biggest difference you think definitely Yeah, and and then once you get the diagnosis, then just really leaning into it and going, well, this is is the thing. Um, Part of who I am. Part of who I am. At the same time, there was relief, and there was also a real period of, like, almost mourning, of, like, there was a few things where I was, my whole life I was like, oh, if you just tried harder, you'd be able to get that thing. Mm. And then it was like, I'm never going to get it. I'm never going to be that super organised guy. That's never going to happen. We were in lockdown, and I had the first lockdown with mum, and Chloe Swarbrick was on breakfast. Now, for those of you outside Aotearoa, Chloe Swarbrick is a New Zealand politician for our Green Party. She's young, feisty, and you might remember her further popularising the saying, OK, Boomer, when she directed it at an older MP during a parliamentary speech on climate change. And she was talking about adult diagnosis in women and, you know, how it's different. And she sort of was like listing a few things. And my, she does have it. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure, yeah. And my mum was like, oh, no. Like, <laughs> like, uh-oh. And she was like, hey, I'm just wondering, just watching this thing on breakfast, I wonder, did you ever think that you might have ADHD? And I was like, I told you I had ADHD when I was And you told me. And, you know, we, and she was, we just had a laugh. But it was then, and then I started reading it about it and – I messaged my doctor and did like the little preliminary test. It was like, oh, thank God. After that preliminary test, Bree went to a psychiatrist to see if what she was experiencing was in fact ADHD. And it was like an hour, maybe an hour, 90 minutes or two hours. We just talked and she just asked me like questions about my when I was little or how I am in certain situations. Mm. And I just rattled, rattled off 
And at the end, she was like, okay, congratulations, yes, you do have ADHD. (laughs) And I just laughed, you know. And then she talked about medication, Ritalin and stuff, Mm. and what kind of dosage to start on and how I'd like to, because I was going straight into like a rehearsal season. Three weeks after starting medication, Bree started rehearsals for a play alongside a really close friend of hers. And I think it was probably two weeks in and she just was like, it's so different. It's so different. The way you are, like, the way you speak to people, where you take direction and criti- you know, criticism, the way, the way you sort of focus and repeat and, like, hmm. you, it's, it's so different. And then we went on tour. Different suggesting better? Yeah. Yeah. You're not different, like, you're not a different person. And what she meant, and, I like, later on we... I think we had like a few moments where we were like needed to talk about not fights because we don't really fight, but like a, even just a, hey, can I let you know something that happened that I felt this way about? And at the end of it, she sort of said to me like, that because of how you are now, it means I can be a different friend too. Like I can be softer. I can, I don't have to walk around on eggshells as much with you. It's like, for me, I felt really proud of that, that she was like, it was easier to be my friend. Mm. So you have a stability that makes you a safer person to yeah. be vulnerable with. Yes, yeah. yeah. My base level's different. Mm. So if something bad happened, I'd go, oh, this is bad. Still have all the feeling, and then we talk about it, and then it's gone. But before? Before, before it was, this is bad, completely implode emotionally, like mm. just bawling, to, you know, can't completely go off, and then pick yourself up, and then carry on. Mm. It's exhausting. Exhausting and probably exhausting for that person who just wanted to have a chat with you about that thing you said that upset them and now, why are you crying? <laughs> and now I'll have a cry and be like, yeah, I totally get that. Thanks, man. Rather than, uh, uh, so sorry, I'm so sorry. You know. You know? <laughs> if someone was just to ask you, hey, Izzy, describe your brain pre-meds or your mind, should I say, and then your mind post-meds. Pre-meds, noisy, like the breadth and depth of noise like it's it's loud and there's a lot of it Mm. several different cohesive thought trains at one time scattered Mm. a lot of times confused and anxious like leaving the house and going i forgot something and is that thing i forgot life-threatening or is it just i forgot to shut the front door Mm. not knowing so before meds that's that's a constant and after meds it's a lot quieter it's it's more cohesive and coherent there's the ability to check the thought before it leaves your mouth oh yeah yeah handy yeah not all the time (laughs) but occasionally i'm like oh probably shouldn't say that whereas before it was just like yeah which is funny because now i sometimes i get a little bit annoyed when i do say something and people get upset because i always think well you should hear what i was gonna say (laughs) Like I edited that like five times. You're lucky, you know. <laughs> you got the kind. You got the yeah. Nice you got version. the real nice version before that. Was, um, yeah. So then, for that going on, I'm not so exhausted when I get home. Mm. I've got a little bit in the tank for family. Mm. Well, actually, a lot more. Cool. Yeah. Did you find you grieved for the years that you could have been on the meds and could have felt more balanced? And yeah. Could have got on top of things more. Yeah. That was part of it. There was definitely thinking about, you know, like school life, what would have happened mm. if we had a known or if, if people had a gone, well, you know, this is how you learn and this is what's going to stimulate you. And, you know, grief for some of my behaviours of like, oh, yeah, stuff I've said or things I've done because, you know, I was bored at the time and I needed to be entertained. And generally 
in my younger years, a lot of that entertainment was at other people's expense. Mm. So, you know, a lot of that, even a few apologies. Hey, uh, I'm really sorry that I was a dick. (laughs) classic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But at the same time as that grief period, there was a lot of acceptance and a lot of thinking, actually, you know what, you're pretty good at stuff. The first one was like one pill. It was one pill. It was, I think it was maybe like five grams. It was one a day. Milligrams. One three times a day. Milligrams. Yeah, five grams. <laughs> five milligrams. Whoa! <laughs> it was flying. One of them three times a day. It was like I was like, oh, is this how everyone feels all the time? Like, I didn't change. I was worried it was going to change my personality. I was worried it was going to like mute me in a way. No, I'm still pretty full on. But it was like, if I have like the 10 balls juggling in the air all the time, I can do that, but the energy is like, okay, 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 boom, 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 yeah, and I'm still talking to you and that's happening. Wow. And when I took the, the medication, it was like I could just go, there's one, there's one, mm. oh, there's one. It was like that. It was like, oh, cool. Almost slowed things down. Yeah, maybe? yeah, and it was everything was like, oh, okay, cool. I've got to do that today? Okay. Rather than... Okay, I'm going to do that today, and i got to do this. It was just like, oh, yeah, cool. And I was like, sorry, is this how everyone is most of the time? So, like, when they break up with someone and they're like this, they're like, oh, I'm sad. Well, you're not the same kind of sad that I am when something bad happens, you know? Like, So it, it was like that. It was like all of a sudden I could relax, but I was also – I could lean into things more mm. and be like, be present. What did it do to the racing thoughts? Well, you still have them, but it's like – you say we? I speak in the we all the time. My friends are like, who's coming? I'm like, oh, we're going to come down. They're like, who are you and who else? I'm like, oh, just me, the proverbial we. All of us. Yeah, all all of my thoughts, all the personalities. I still have them, but I don't, like, fall off the rails with them. Mm. So I still have the worry. So let's just say something bad happens with a friend or you're worried about something. I'll go and be like, hey, I'm really – I'll have the chat in the moment and go, I need to ask you this question. Is this cool? And they go, yeah. And I go, cool. Rather than going home and not sleeping because you, and being too scared to ask the question. Mm. So it's more like I'm still me, but I can just move through everything rather than the highs and lows and falling off. So it sounds like life's better. It is way better. I mean, it's still rough because I'm me and wherever I go, there I am, unfortunately. <laughs> and I'll find a way to be like... Don't like this, but it's better. Yeah, what I'm working on now is I want to have real joy. I don't want to get. I don't want to cry. I want to be happy. But before having the medication, I was always sad, and now I'm okay, and I want to be happy. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And what do you think? And you may not know this, and if you don't, it's absolutely fine. But what do you think the path to that? looks like well I started doing stuff with the psychologist and she's she's like do you want homework I'm like yes please I love homework I also can't afford to come to you as much as I'd like to so you need to give me homework um I don't know I feel like it's gonna be hard because it's like it's not there's no pill to take for that no. you gotta go work through it I've got to like take risks and put yourself out there where you could get hurt or Foster self-belief. Yeah, yeah. Let's go back to Nettie now, talking about treatment options for ADHD. Often what people think of when they think about the treatments for ADHD is they think about medication. Mm. And I must admit I've heard that, and from people I know, that medication for ADHD has a particularly kind of 
high success rate compared to other things. Well, it's really interesting because a lot of people will talk about noticing a marked difference mm. once they've started taking medication. Some people go so far as to say it's completely changed my life and I'm functioning in a way that I've never been able to function before. So there seems to be very clear evidence for the efficacy of, of <laughs> medication for a lot of people. Mm. Uh, but medication on its own is often not as beneficial as medication alongside other interventions. Education, behaviour, emotional, psychological therapies that can all be combined to support a person and, and the kind of complex experience that they're having around ADHD. So if tomorrow you have someone walk into your practice with ADHD, what might that look like as far as you doing therapy with that person? That's a good question. Um, so there are lots of behavioural interventions and lots, lots of real practical techniques that can be implemented to help support and create sort of routines and habits and things that can be really beneficial for a person with ADHD. Recognising how to kind of roll with this particular way that the nervous system functions rather than fight against it mm. can be a really useful approach. Recognising that I'm only motivated by these sorts of things, I can then weave them in to the daily activities that I might otherwise struggle to do. Is it kind of like if I had ADHD and I know that I just love solving problems? Yeah. You love solving problems, therefore you could weave in a problem-solving element to some of the tasks that you might otherwise find completely uninteresting. Mm. The other th wonderful thing about the ADHD brain is it's got a wonderful capacity for creativity and imagination. So creating a, I don't know. Almost like gamifying Yes, things. absolutely. Kind yeah. Gamifying an activity to make it stimulating, interesting, engaging can be a really useful strategy building habits and routines so that I don't have to think about what I have to do, it just happens automatically. Mm. Because that capacity to decide can be challenging. Yeah. To decide to do my homework rather than just doing it because it is part of the routine. Mm. To decide to do the dishes rather than just doing it because that's what happens that's as part of the time of the day I always do it. That's right, yeah. So building in some of those behavioral techniques can be really useful, really empowering. Other kind of behavioural things include like acknowledging that there is a nervous energy and so having things to fidget with and play with can be a way of channeling that nervous energy and acknowledging and embracing it even. Weighted blankets and some of those kinds of resources can also help calm the nervous system and be really useful for a person who's otherwise finding it difficult to relax and wind down and um, rest. Calm down. Yeah, yeah, calm down, absolutely. You hear of, have I heard of like kids at school getting given things to, to, mm. to fidget with mm. if they know their ADHD? It's something yeah. that schools are more open to now. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, there's the whole fidget spinner craze, wasn't there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but kids have always been fidgeting. But there is much more of a recognition nowadays that a kid that's doodling in their workbook may actually be able to pay better attention to what's being said if they're also doodling. Mm, yeah. So treatment-wise, there is the medication, but the preference is that it's coupled with these. Because medication will, will only do a certain amount. And there's a lot of other things going on for an individual with ADHD. There's a lot of relationship. There's a lot of self-esteem. There's a lot of 
just basic self-awareness and understanding of why I'm experiencing the world the way I am, why I'm experiencing other people the way I am. Medication won't do that for you. Medication will help on the the capacity for paying attention, say. It'll help on the capacity to regulate attention and emotion and behaviour, but it won't help process the emotional components that are going to be part of the whole experience. You mentioned that therapy has helped as well. Yep. How has that helped? I think it's helped deal with a lot of the trauma that's come out of it. A lot of things that people say that stick, or you, you're no good at this, or you're useless mm. at that. or So that's helped with that. How? Well, like unpacking, you know, like well, one of the jobs I got to, I had a really hard time when the manager would come down and talk to me. It would just, I would just freeze and freak out. Mm. So I went to to some therapy and unpack that and it turns out that this manager looked very similar to a teacher I had at school mm. so then I had to go back and unpack, you know like I was totally felt like a seven year old mm. so you, you go back as a 50 year old and you because you when it's overwhelming you, you make a coping mechanism mm. but those coping mechanisms that work when you're seven don't work when you're 50 so that's how therapy has helped it takes you out of that whole mechanism of of pre-programmed response mm. to being able to assess and formulate and make an appropriate response. I think that's what therapy and CBT has done for me. And that plus the meds, being more present and noticing it and then being able to talk to myself about myself nicely and go, what's happening? What's going on? Why do you feel this way? And being able to just mentally unpack a lot of stuff on my own has been really good. Just learning the skills of it has been real helpful. If anyone's out there and they think they should do some therapy, then you should do some therapy. And therapists are like mechanics. Some of them are good, some of them are bad. You know, if you've had a bad experience with a therapist, go find another one mm. because it's only going to help. I started doing therapy, like, even though a couple of weeks ago, I've had therapy and done stuff before, but I feel like I wanted to get on a level and go, oh, this is how everybody goes to therapy in a way, like when you're just okay and then start working on stuff from there rather yeah. than working on it from a place of yeah, deficit. Totally. And so I'm in that thing of like, that's one of the, is on the list. It's like, I'd quite like to like, like myself, really like it and really be like, that was good, you know. And that's a journey when you've sort of been very much looking outward for that validation. Mm. I'm trying now to go, I want to be like a poet and so that if something goes wrong, I'm like, Okay, but we're still okay just as this, you know. If someone says something bad about you, you don't completely derail. If you start a new relationship and it's going great, you don't completely just lose your brain and move countries. Because we've done that (laughs) twice and it didn't go well both times. (laughs) So essentially finding your self-worth inside yourself. Yeah, yeah. What causes ADHD? Well, some people say there's no doubt that ADHD is a genetic condition. Mm. I guess partly supported by the fact that there are these structural differences in the brain and functional differences in the ADHD brain as compared to the more typical brain. Mm. Also, the fact that if a person has a diagnosis of ADHD, there's at least 25% chance that somebody else close in their family will also have a diagnosis of, of ADHD. So it does look like it runs in families, but somebody else might say, well, okay, 
behaviours run in families not just because they have a genetic basis but because we model ourselves off the people that are around us. The people mm. who are around us become part of our environment. The way they behave becomes part of our environmental experience and that has an impact on how my behaviour develops and the way that my brain develops. There's even a suggestion, which is quite an intriguing one, that if there's a lack of attention from my caregivers, that's going to affect the development of my prefrontal cortex. In fact, we know that in adolescence, the more an adolescent brain is around other well-functioning mature prefrontal cortexes, the more quickly that prefrontal cortex capacity will develop. Right. So we, our environment is very much made up of the relationships and the people and the behaviours of other people around us. So it's an ongoing debate, the kind of physiological, biological, genetic Mm. versus environmental. And how those interact. It's highly likely it's it's some sort of interesting and complex interweaving of both of those things. Mm. Um, What age does ADHD present? I think of it happening Mm. at childhood. Is that Mm. when it presents? It's most commonly diagnosed, I think, around between eight and 10-ish. Mm. But I think that is when the behaviors become most disruptive. Yeah. So that's when teachers or other people in the community start going, hey, hold on, there's something different going on here. My sense is that given that it's a neurodevelopmental condition, you start seeing those differences as early as, as three or four when that prefrontal cortex is starting to develop. Mm. And you're starting to really see some of those capacities kick in or not so much. Mm. In terms of how the diagnostic criteria is applied, the condition is that it has to have been present before 12 years of age for a diagnosis of ADHD. Right. The understanding is that if you have adult ADHD, it will have been present in your childhood one way or another. What if someone has ADHD but doesn't get diagnosed with it? Is that problematic? I guess the question would be how much does their experience of ADHD interfere with their life? And I guess it's problematic if there are problems as a result of their behaviour. Right. And, and very commonly there are. And, but if we don't recognise that it's a difference in the wiring of the nervous system, it can often be misunderstood or misinterpreted as somebody who is lazy or insensitive or self-absorbed or they've got some kind of mood disorder or some kind of personality disorder and so you can then end up with a whole plethora of other issues around a person's self-concept and their belief about themselves their confidence their self-esteem their ability to to form relationships their own understanding of themselves so i'm guessing that actually having a diagnosis could be quite freeing for someone in the sense that it's not like oh there's something wrong with me as a person it's actually, there's a, there's a specific struggle that I have that other people have as well. I'm not a freak. I'm not know? a freak. It's not just me being mad or difficult or crazy or... Broken. Broken, absolutely. Mm. And so, yes, it can be very validating, very affirming. How might ADHD affect someone's ability to form and maintain romantic relationships? Mm. ADHD can understandably wreak havoc in relationships. Often I think because a person's behavior is misinterpreted, Mm. misunderstood. So 
a behaviour that I don't understand might seem deliberate, it might even seem kind of personal coming from a person who's, if they're not focusing on what I have to say, I may feel like I'm not important to them. Mm. If they're not following through on the tasks that are important to me, I may well interpret that as, I don't matter to you. Mm. You're selfish, you're self-absorbed. You don't care about anything except for that one thing that is all you care about and it's not me. It can be quite hard to live with. Mm. And people who are married to somebody with ADHD often talk about feeling like they've got an extra child. (laughs) I've got four children, not three children, because their behaviours seem quite childlike. So there can be a lot of disappointment and there can be a lot of hurt because of a misunderstanding and a misinterpretation of what is going on. The person themselves with ADHD is bewildered often that they've caused hurt Mm. or distress. The other thing that's really quite interesting about ADHD is that a person with ADHD feels things deeply, Mm. feels things passionately, is very sensitive to rejection and therefore very reactive to what might be perceived as criticism. Mm. And then when they feel rejection, they feel it so intensely. So you end up with this chain reaction of emotions that very quickly can become overwhelming for everybody involved. But you've got a person then going, what, wait, what did I do? What did I say? All I did was go to pick up some milk and come back seven hours later with a puppy. And (laughs) (laughs) So cute though. With a puppy and no milk. <laughs> <laughs> Just milk the puppy. Oh, no, wait on. <laughs> yeah, that might not work. Um, so having ADHD poses often some quite significant challenges Absolutely. to holding down a healthy relationship yes. or an enjoyable relationship. Are they insurmountable? Can they be overcome? I think that understanding and awareness goes so far. You know, once you can see a person's behaviour as not personal, as as a function of a different wiring in the brain, mm. all of a sudden it takes on quite a different shape. Mm. It's no longer someone being selfish and mean and thoughtless and unreliable. Mm. And there's space for a lot more compassion. Mm. And then hopefully working together to find ways of managing it and living with it. Mm. Do you think there'd be ways in a relationship context to utilise the so-called superpowers of ADHD? Mm. <clears throat> well, the superpowers of ADHD, we haven't talked much about those, have we? But the superpowers of ADHD, a person who is passionate about something is really fun to mm. be around, right? A person who has the energy to engage in all sorts of things that you might not otherwise, that can be really exciting. Possibly adventurous, possibly takes a few well-calculated risks. Yes, sometimes not so (laughs) well-calculated risks, but but there's such a lot of fun to be had in the meantime. Mm. The superpowers of ADHD, the, the passion, the enthusiasm, the energy, the creativity, the thinking outside of the box and the the capacity for engaging in the world in a really different kind of way can be a whole lot of fun. And kind of life-giving and Mm. zingy in a way, you know? And surprising. And and surprises can be wonderful. Kind of the opposite to boring. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, yeah. How has having ADHD affected your ability to form relationships? I would say... 
it's probably hugely affected it later on in life positively because I've found my flock mm. but early on in life it was pretty bad like that whole thing you're just too much so people couldn't handle you yeah whether it was they couldn't handle me or they didn't want to be associated with that guy mm. I had a lot of a lot of mates but not many good friends mm. um, so yeah it's most of my life it's adversely affected relationships. Mm. Even my lovely wife of 24 years, like when we first got together, people were like, what the heck are you going out with him for? Mm. He's just unpredictable and says mean things. And to her credit, like she would always explain stuff. Like like I'd say something and someone would go, you shouldn't say that. And I'd, and I'd generally go, well, why not? And that's just like, well, obviously, you, why would you even ask that question? Mm. Whereas she would be like, because I'd be like, oh yeah, that's pretty obvious. <laughs> Good point. Oh, I didn't even think of that. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's a patient woman there. Ah, she's a good sort. Yeah, like I'm. I'm really lucky because she doesn't get too upset if I forget an anniversary. Mm. I think she'd be more stoked if I did remember. But there's, <laughs> I think, luckily, our wedding anniversary's six days after my birthday, and my birthday's two days after my dad's. Like I'd forget my own birthday. <laughs> And so right. when but when he has his when I'm like running around the night before my dad's birthday buying a present sorry dad <laughs> then it's like oh my birthday's in two days oh that means my wedding anniversary <laughs> oh, I better go sort something out funny life hacks life ADHD hacks. life hacks funny story about two years ago Christmas Eve he gets a phone call oh it's you know it's so and so from the bank and we've just noticed some transactions and, and I'm like well, whatever go away this is the total scam, and the girl's like, well, you know, just call us back in two minutes. I'm like, whatever. Go to use my EFOS card, doesn't work. So I ring them back. And I'm like, what's going on? We've noticed a whole lot of transactions, like one after the other after the other all over town where we're just worried that your card had been stolen. And I was like, look, it's Christmas Eve. I'm a male, and I've got ADHD. I'm doing all my Christmas shopping now. And she's like, oh, okay. Hey, <laughs> so- we've, got a, we've got a file for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just put it in the file. What do you think the most misunderstood thing about ADHD is? We're lazy and we're dramatic. Those are the, that's it. Lazy and dramatic, you know. You are kind of dramatic. I you? know. I know. What do you mean by that? Well, lazy in the fact that we just can't do some of the things. We, find, we find certain things really hard to do that are very simple for other people. Mm. We have blocks you know, some, for someone who might be going to the doctor, mine was like money, money and organising and forms and anything bureaucratic where I feel like I could get in trouble, which is which is ridiculous. Yeah. And dramatic? What do you mean by that? Because we feel things deeply. So our reactions to things are quite big. And so people are like, oh, you know, like, we'll cry about something or be upset about something someone said or... Sometimes in relationships, you, you, like if I had a boyfriend, I'm not speaking about a particular boyfriend, guys. They won't, they won't be listening to this. Jason. They don't, yeah. <laughs> but like, you'll get upset by something and they'll be like, oh, come on, you know. Or you're being dramatic. Mm. or And you're like, you f- the way that w- it's so acute, the feelings, you know. So you get accused of doing it for attention. Yeah. But the reality is you're feeling it that big. Yeah. Yeah, and then it's it also with a, it's over. So mm. that's for them. They'll be like, yeah, and you didn't even care about it later on. I was like, yeah, well, you gave me a hug and told me it was going to be okay, so I was fine. Right. But you know, like, and so they don't. Un- people don't understand that when you're in it, it you feel it mm. hugely. Mm. 
Yeah. So I Makes think sense. that lazy and dramatic would be the thing. You know, like the amount of times I've been told, just do it, just do it, just do it. Mm. Can you just do it? And you're thinking, if I could just do it. If I, I we wouldn't could, be sitting here. Yeah. I wouldn't have gone through all that I've gone through. If you could just, why don't you write a list? Hey, Sharon Karen, if I could just write a list and it would be all be good. Oh my God. Ama- you know, amazing. Just go and have that meeting. Just tell them. Just, why don't you just tell them how you're feeling? If I could, without completely bawling in their face, you know, like, you, it's all of those things. That's the thing that upsets me the most, I think, is that we wish we could. Yeah. I think the thing that's misunderstood is why these behaviours happen and the idea that a person is behaving a certain way because they're lazy, because they can't be bothered, because they're not trying hard enough, mm. because they just have to pay more attention, they just have to sit still, they just mm. have to work harder. And a person is very rarely doing all the things they're doing intentionally. Yeah, to piss you off. That's right, <laughs> to make your life difficult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's more often happening without their conscious awareness of why it's happening. And so mm. it's that, that awareness and that insight that can change our perspective completely. And I wonder whether a lot of those misunderstandings and I guess a lot of the kind of negative view of people with ADHD comes from that classic thing we often do, which is just to project our own lens onto other people mm. and, and, and just be like, well, this is how I live. Mm. This is how I keep my stuff together. Mm. I have to go to work and do this. I have to do these boring things. Like, just a lack of acceptance of difference, right? Absolutely, yeah. Why do you get special treatment? Mm. But actually, we all have areas in our lives where we require some special treatment. Absolutely, and some some grace grace some thoughtfulness and some empathy Mm. Mm. the two things that are misunderstood in my opinion are that people with adhd have a deficit of attention because they don't they've probably got more ability than most people they just a lot of time don't get to choose where it goes Mm. we notice everything We'll be like, oh, did you see that? Oh, did you see that? You know, I feel like a lot of people miss out on a lot of stuff. They won't see the sunset or they won't notice the bird in the tree or Mm. they won't. They just wander through life and don't notice the stuff. Mm. And the other thing I think is misunderstood, and for me it's a little bit of a bone in contention, the fact that it's called a disorder. Because a lot of times, for me, it's probably 80% being an advantage and 20% being a disorder. So I think just the stereotypes of what ADHD is when you've got it that's like that's not true we had a teacher this was when my son was little she just refused to teach him and I we went in there and she said I think he's got ADHD and I just was like you you are not qualified to say that Mm. I'm a mechanic right like you bring me a car I can't go hey Mick you know your car's just different it's it's a little bit difficult so we've just put it in the corner and left it alone Mm -hmm. like you wouldn't accept that from me why should I accept that from the education system in this day and age what about for parents particularly maybe parents listening to this who have a kid or kids acting a certain way behaving a certain way and they're wondering about whether they have ADHD what what should they be looking out for and or what advice might you give them Mm. The tricky thing with kids, obviously, is that some of these behaviours that we're talking about 
are pretty common in childhood. Mm. You know, the inability to sit still or inability to focus, distractibility. I haven't cleaned my room, even though I've been asked five times. Mm. What we'd be looking for is a departure or a difference in a child as compared to others of their age and stage. Mm. And that difference is going to be persistent over a long period of time and across a variety of different contexts. So not just not paying attention at school, but not being able to pay attention at school, at home, or at soccer or, or whatever. And that it's not just a fluctuating phenomena, but it's something that seems to be quite pervasive and persistent. And it's not just one teacher having a minor problem Correct. with the, it's every teacher going, this kid is disrupting class every yes. time kind of thing. Yeah, perhaps not every time, because if your kid finds themselves in the class that completely captures their attention because it's absolutely fascinating to them, you won't have any of those difficulties around attention. That's a good point. What you will have is difficulties around perhaps... Getting them out of the class. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> or their irritation when they get interrupted on the task that they're, they're completely absorbed in. Mm. Mm. Right. Oh, what I would say, though, about parents, though, in terms of advice to parents is get support, get information, talk to other parents, talk to doctors, get access to resources because there's a lot of resources out there. And understanding what's going on is really, really empowering. What about parents of children who have actually been diagnosed with ADHD? Any kind of guidance around managing that? The basic advice boils down to basically structure, organisation and simplification. Okay. Um, SOS. SOS. I didn't even realise that was an SOS. Okay. You know, structure can provide a lot of safety and holding. And if you're thinking about when there's a, a difficulty regulating emotion and behaviour and attention, structure is going to support mm. the capacity to be regulated. Slowing things down, reducing the overwhelm and making things as manageable as possible. Organisation, again, like other routines and habits, provide less opportunity for things to go awry. What's the difference between structure and organisation? I guess structure is around daily activities, organisation around, you know, always put your shoes in the same place every day without ah, thinking yeah, yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. And structure could be schedule. Yes. It could be yeah, yeah. routines. Yeah. And what was it? What was and the simplification. S? So just slowing things down, reducing the overwhelm, not adding anything to the complexity of what's going on in the brain. Just bringing it back to one little step at a time. Mm. Sometimes the advice is as simple as don't give your child three tasks they have to complete. Just give them one. Mm. And then once they've done that one, give then the give them the one. next one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then give them the next one. Yeah. I had a second form teacher, and for those listening from overseas, that's a, when I was 12 years old, he would say to us, first things first, second things never. Yes, right. Um, I can imagine if I had a child with ADHD, being able to think in terms of structure, organisation and simplification would be quite helpful. Hmm. And now that you're subconsciously talking in acronyms, you're obviously ready to be an author. <laughs> obviously. So there's that. <laughs> If someone's listening to this and have recently been diagnosed with ADHD and 
it's making it hard to live the life they want to live. And they're feeling despondent about the future. What would you want to say to them? Well, how good has your life been before you found out? Because it's going to be the exact same. It's going to be the, like it's going to either be the same, or you can have ways to cope with it. For me, life was really hard, and I had and I have always had a pretty good life, and it was still and has been really tough. So I'm like, now you can just have the same life and try to. En- enjoy it and maybe even you know it'll get better you know and you'll find your strengths and you'll lean into them and you'll be kind to yourself and you know like for me my life is better now knowing this because I'm kinder to myself Mm. and I think I imagine if you're just finding out now you've got it all of those things that you thought that you're wrong wrong with you or that you're lazy you just can't do now you know why and there's heaps of us out here who are like, hey man, welcome to the club. Like, And you'll find ways to get things done that you want to do. And you'll find your pathway to excel, you know. Like ADHD isn't like these are all the things now that you can't do. I'd rather see it as, hey, this is the best place for you to shine. And these are the things that can help you in ways that, and for things that you find hard. So I feel like if anybody's feeling that way, like, oh, my life's going to be a bit shit, it's like you're the same person you were yesterday. And I feel like it's going to be easier knowing than not knowing. You can put all the things in place to help you succeed. And there's nothing wrong with you, you know? There's nothing wrong with you. I know that, you know, women have that sort of stigma around it as well about being too loud and too much and whatever and so if I can just say something to them it's like you're not too loud you're not too much you're just the right amount you know yeah I think the first thing I want to say is that it gets better and the second thing I'd want to say is it may have been no consequence because you don't know me but I deeply identify with the pain that you're going through but it does the only thing I can say is it gets better there is there is light at the end of the tunnel and for the first time in your life that light may not be an approaching train and then there's definitely as we talked about before a grieving and a mourning process but that you need to do that there's things that will come up that you were reminisce on what someone said or if you had got the help or you'll never grasp that thing Um, But I think that's important to mourn those things and let them go and realise that you weren't going to get them anyway and that person that said that thing didn't know what they were talking about. But yeah, I think the the thing I would repeatedly say is that it does, it gets better. It's not the worst thing that could happen. There are some absolutely amazing skills there that most people would love to have. There are some challenges that most people would never want to have. But if you lean into it, the skills and the magic outweighs the the really shitty days. And if you're not diagnosed, start talking. Talk to your GP first. If they're not interested, find another GP. Go and get diagnosed. It's definitely the word that keeps coming to mind is it's life-changing. Getting a diagnosis, getting on the right meds has all changed your life for the better. And um, Mostly, the thing you need to do is talk nicely to yourself about yourself. Yeah, that's about it, really, I think. Yeah. Cool, bro. 
Oh, let's hug it in, eh? Hug it in. Seems about appropriate. Thanks, man. No, I appreciate it. Anytime. Yeah. A massive thank you to Izzy, Bree, and Nettie for making the time to talk so openly with me. If this episode has brought anything up for you and you'd like to talk to someone, no matter where you are in the world, you can go to checkpointorg.com slash global for a list of local helplines. And if you're in Aotearoa, New Zealand, you can call 1737 at any time of the day or night. As I've mentioned, we'd really love your support to make the next episode. You can go to our website, areyoumental.com, and click on the donate button. A big shout out to the Love It Media team for all their work and support. And if you want to follow us on Instagram, we are at Podcast. Do make sure you follow the podcast on your podcast app. If you're on Apple Podcasts, for example, that involves hitting the plus sign at the top of the page. And if you know someone who you think would get something out of this episode, why not flick it to them now? And I dare you to give us a five-star rating and double dare you to write a review just to help others discover the show. See you back here soon for another exciting episode. And until then, have a mental week.